We're in Galatians, and last week we saw that Paul was saying in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, that when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. Well, this week we're going to see that while Paul said earlier, a defense of this gospel of grace is that I'm in agreement in Jerusalem with the other apostles, the pillars of the church, the great ones. Peter himself gave me his right hand, and I shook it. And he agreed with me that the gospel of grace alone is, our sal- is all that is necessary for our salvation. But this week, we're going to see Paul opposing Peter. In other words, instead of Paul this week shaking Peter's hand in fellowship, he's got a finger in his face and saying, stop that. What are you doing? This is not in line with what you believe. So why are you doing it? Why? Why did Paul oppose Peter in this section that we're looking at today. What was it about Peter's gospel that Paul opposed? So much so that he rebuked him to stop it. And why rebuke him? Why condemn him? Why oppose him? Martin Luther says this, Here is no trifling matter in hand, but the chiefest article of all Christian doctrine. The end and the inference of the fact is evil, not that the fact is evil. They all, the apostles, preached the gospel, but through Peter's disassociation, He established a new law. And the establishing of any law for our salvation is the abolishing of the gospel. Translated, what Luther was saying is that by Peter's conduct and his behavior, it was going against, oppositionally, the content of the gospel. That there was the belief in the gospel that Peter had. He believed in the gospel of justification. That you are just as if you've never sinned. Because of Christ alone and what he's done. So that we don't have to do anything to add to that to be saved. Peter believed that more clearly and better than we do. But look at his conduct. His conduct is betraying him in the sense that he is believing one thing about the gospel to be true, but now his actions are a contradiction to the very gospel that he believes. And the question before the house, before us this day, is this. Is there anything about your conduct? Is there there anything about your attitudes that 
is separate, compartmentalized, if you were, if you would, different and in contradiction about the gospel that you believe. In other words, do you believe one thing about the gospel and then do another thing in contradiction to the gospel? And I believe we all do. I believe that there is a tension. And that as Paul admonishes Peter and says, you're not walking in alignment. You're not walking in light of this gospel. Constantly being realigned. Constantly under the influence that freely are you forgiven. Now freely live. You are completely forgiven of everything. And now you can forgive others. Now you can have fellowship with others that you could not have before because of your prejudice or your superiority, your judgmental attitudes. You're free. But do we walk in that freedom? Or do we find that we're still, though we believe in the gospel, that we're inseparable from God now through Christ, do we find that we still separate ourselves into various cliques and customs so much so that we take great pride in our group, but we look askance and with judgment upon someone in a different group. Well, if you're, for those that want an outline, I didn't give Justin an outline as we did two bulletins last week before he took this week off. But here's the outline for those that like an outline. Point number one, we're going to look at Peter. Point number two, we're going to look at Paul. And as we look at Peter, we're going to see what he did, why he did it, and the result of it as we go and continue in our series in Galatians, going verse by verse. Then we're going to look at Paul. What did Paul do? Why did he do it? And what was the result? Without further ado, look at verse 11. Cephas came to Antioch. Cephas is Peter's name, the rock. Jesus gave him that name. Peter is now in Antioch. When he came to Antioch, that's Paul's church. Paul never spoke to Peter about doctrine in Jerusalem being a pillar of the church. But now that Peter has come to church, imagine two rivers. He's come to this small but growing church that Paul pastors in Antioch. And when he came there, Paul says that he opposed him to his face because in verse 12 that he had initially been eating with the the Gentiles, but when these men came, he separated himself. So when he came to Antioch, he'd have a ham sandwich. When he came to Antioch, which is primarily a Gentile church, without a Jewish background, without Jewish dietary laws, without Jewish customs, without dressing like Jews, acting like Jews, singing like Jews, eating like Jews, Peter said, wow, I I can do this. Because if you look back in your Bibles in Acts 10, in Acts 10, And I won't read all of this, but in Acts 10, verse 14, Peter had a vision. And the Lord had given him in this vision, he three times he showed him 
unclean animals and food, and he asked Peter to eat. And Peter's response was, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is, number one, uh, is common or unclean. In other words, God had in the Old Testament told the Jews that there are certain animals that are unclean. And you don't eat those unclean animals because they will make you unclean. And then, over time, the Jews had come to see that common people, inferior people, people that are outcast, people that are not a part of our group, common riffraff eat unclean food. And so he's saying, no, Lord, you're showing me to eat this. No, that's beneath me, that's common, and it's unclean. And the Lord said in verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. And Peter got it. Peter understood that. And so we begin at that point in Acts 10 to eat unclean food with common people. You with me? Verse 34 of chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but every nation, anyone, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And the does what is right means receives Christ through the repentance of sins and him alone. It doesn't mean obey the law. Over in chapter 11, bear with me, history is important, of Acts chapter 11, we read in verse 2, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so Peter, like Paul, is dogged by circumcised believers who are saying, yeah, but. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, by grace, he forgives us. Nothing that we bring uh, merits forgiveness, but as he forgives us, he requires us still to eat only clean food, be circumcised, he requires all these customs. And God was getting slowly across to Peter. No, it's grace alone. So, later, Peter's in Antioch. And he's demonstrating his freedom that grace brings into all of our life. He's having something called fellowship around the table. And the Jewish believers come in, as we read in verse 12, certain men came from James. Now, they weren't sent by James. James would later say in Acts 15 that he receives word. He says in Acts 15, verse 24, Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. But these men in Antioch at Two Rivers are saying, this is what it looks like to be saved, but we're going to let you go ahead and worship, but we're going to include clean food, and we're going to eat 
at a separate table. We're going to imagine school in the cafeteria. You're there at the table and you're looking at the jock table and you're saying, wow, not only do they eat differently, not only is that the cool table, but they look at us as the uncool ones. And you begin to see yourself as the uncool ones. And this is what Luther says is this is where the critical matter of all Christianity, as he says, the chiefest article of Christianity is justification by faith alone. And that was Peter's gospel, but it wasn't his application. In the fellowship, they would celebrate communion, but they would have one Lord. Peter could stand up at Antioch and he could preach the gospel. But then when it came time to celebrate communion, they'd have two tables. The cool table, the uncool cool table. The word there in verse 12 for separation is interesting. It's a compound word. And one part, apo means, the first part of separation means from. And then the other part of the word means to define. So what happens is, is you're not simply physically separating yourself from people in the congregation, but you're defining them as inferior, as outcast, as socially unacceptable, and more than that, unclean in the eyes of God. And Paul would have none of it. Is there anybody in this congregation that you know to be a believer in Jesus Christ and you look at them and say, but they are as yet unclean. They're, in my eyes, they're inferior. In my eyes, I don't break bread with them. In my eyes, I don't invite them to my events. In my eyes, I have no relationship with them. Because they're so different than me, we might justify. But really, we're saying, I don't want to be associated with them. I don't want what they will reflect upon me if I introduce them as an acquaintance or a part of my church. Or I simply don't want to rub shoulders with them. And that was taking place. So the gospel was being threatened because of this table fellowship being disrupted. There was a judgment being made that the Gentiles were less not only in the eyes of men, but less in the eyes of God. Not simply uncool to me and you, but they must be uncool to God because there was something that was wanting. Now, why did Peter do this? Why did he do this? Well, we read there in verse 12, he feared the circumcised party. So he basically lacked courage for his convictions. Have you ever experienced that? Something that you believe to be true. But then you pull back. Particularly maybe in the face of, of there's someone that you want their approval. Or there's someone that you want their respect. The circumcision party. The cool ones. And you will simply lack the courage of things that you believe, the convictions that you have, 
you pull back. You become a people pleaser. You become an approval suck. You begin to, to, to fail. to. You know that God is pleased with you, but you will do everything to get that person's pleasure, to please that person. Let me ask it differently. How hard is it for you to say no? Now, we shouldn't say no all the time, but how hard is it for you to say no to people? If you're a people pleaser, it's terribly difficult to ever say no to anything. But if you know that you have God's pleasure, then you're not as worried about letting other people down or disappointing them if they have an agenda or a schedule that they're trying to put you into. So, he feared their criticism. He feared not being accepted by them. And remember, Peter is Jewish, and Peter is circumcised, and Peter is a pillar of the church, and Peter has been in Jerusalem. And Peter is now in Antioch, and at this point of the writing of the letter he was, this has happened a while back, but Peter is there, and he's still learning. He's still learning how his belief in the gospel of grace alone, what that looks like in application in the church. He's still learning, so let's give him that. But a result, a terrible, devastating result, was it was creating, in verse 13, hypocrisy. And the word for hypocrisy means to answer from under. Uh, a hypocrite, as you probably know, is a, it was an actor. And the a- actors would wear very stiff wooden masks. And these masks usually didn't have an open mouth, but these they would talk from under the mask. And so a hypocrite was a person that looked this way on the outside, but as they're talking underneath the mask, it's not, it's not really them. They're acting. It's not real. It's a pose. And so what happens is, is you've got Barnabas and you've got other Jewish believers who are now going from this side of the room because it's more table fellowship. It's not simply separating yourself at communion time so that you don't eat the same bread, you don't eat the same in the same way. But the men would separate themselves from the women. Paul's gospel said there is now no Jew or Gentile, no male, no female, no master, no slave. Every socioeconomic, every cultural barrier is come down. Well, the Jewish believer would say, women, you've got to sit on one side. Men, you've got to sit on the other side. You know why? Because if a woman was in her menstrual cycle, a man might become unclean if he sat in a, a long period of time, if he sat in the same seat that a woman sat in. Not to mention that, that, but it's being, and it's dividing the church. And the result is, is people are shifting. They're, they're changing their seats. And so now, uh, you read in Romans 15, verse 7, that one of the applications, one of the, uh, uh, if, if you have a conviction of the gospel, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
The gospel that I believe is that Christ has now welcomed me into his family. I'm a son. I'm a son. Now, that means every believer, male, female, rich, poor, addicted, unaddicted, clean, unclean in this world, I can have fellowship and am to have fellowship with them. There is no inferior. I welcome them as Christ has welcomed me. And this, the result of Peter's gospel, was that this was not happening. He was saying, Christ welcomes you, but I cannot welcome you. He wasn't simply saying, I am I'm going to exercise my liberty to eat clean and kosher food. Because he could. But he was saying, and you can't. And why can't you, as a Gentile, eat, eat at this kosher table? Because you're unclean. Well, how am I unclean? Well, you're not completely cleaned by God. That was the result. And Paul comes forward and he says in verse, tw- verse 11, he said, I opposed him to his face because he stood right there in front of me like a condemned man. Now, that's strange language. But if you look back in Galatians 1, in verse 8, Paul said, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And so what Paul's saying is, look, you're preaching by your actions a different gospel. You're standing before me, a man who's cursed, condemned, heretical. Stop this. And I believe when he opposed him, and there is a standard here for our church at Two Rivers. If you have a private sin, and it requires an action of, if it requires church discipline, then the church elders will meet with you privately and deal with your private sin. But in a public sin, it will be dealt with in a public manner because of the scandal. And I don't believe that it would be like a worship service today and, and, and Paul is preaching and then he says, oh, Peter, hey, stand up, Peter. All right, guys, let me make an example of Peter right now. I don't believe that at all. In Galatians 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But the church would have, and Paul wrote that. So I don't believe that Paul with great bluster or fanfare, I don't believe that he was trying to showcase or highlight this, but he did want the church to know. He, didn't, he wasn't trying to embarrass Peter. He loved him as a dear brother. He was trying to bring him back on the path. I welcome people like that in my life. People that love me enough to say, Bill, I know you, I know you love Jesus and you know how Christ welcomes you and his family. But I think, I'm not sure that you see. Maybe you've got a blind spot here about how you're treating other people. 
you're getting the gospel, oh, and you pray for forgiveness, and you love and glory in the forgiveness of your sins, but you're, you're speaking ill of someone in our church, you are not giving them the forgiveness that you say you experience, this is out of alignment. You're not walking in light of the gospel. That's a loving thing. Would that we at Two Rivers do more of that. That we would restore one another. We would restore one another to the very gospel that we believe. With the gospel that we would believe. So, they're being led astray. Paul steps in, verse 14, because he saw that this was not conduct that was in keeping and in alignment with the gospel of grace. They believed the gospel of grace, but they were not applying the gospel of grace to one another. And so Paul comes along and he confronts it, and that's the why. Because the gospel is at stake. If we at Two Rivers say, I believe it, but we don't show it to one another, then it's evidence Eventually, it's evidence that we don't have the real gospel. You can know the gospel intellectually. You can know the content. Jesus Christ, by his life and his death, has accomplished. He took the judgment and the condemnation of God such that now that life and death is applied to my account. His righteousness is applied to my account. I give him my unrighteousness. I receive his righteousness. I am forgiven. And at that point, the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. And that new heart begins to love other people out of the very love that we're experiencing from God. So if we're not showing that to one another, then do we really believe it? Has it really transformed us? I, um, I think that it's important that you come back to that question that I posed at the beginning. It would be in verse 12. Where do you separate yourself from anyone? Where do you separate yourself from anyone? Where do you separate yourself relationally? Are there people that you do not have a relationship with because in some measure you've deemed them unclean, unworthy of your relationship, inferior, not cool, and they're a believer in Jesus Christ? Where do you separate yourself physically? Are there people literally that you wouldn't go, if they invite you or if you were to, to, associate, to be associated with them and they're initiating, you're constantly holding them at a distance. Too many of our churches, we all look the same. and We all act the same in the sense, and it's not because of the gospel, but it's because we began to put up these little systems of this is what a Christian looks like at Two Rivers. And yet the gospel produces diversity. 
Paul could say, I'm a minister to the uncircumcised group. As he said earlier, Peter's a minister to the circumcised group. We can have the circumcised, the uncircumcised. We can have kosher food. We can have unkosher food. We can, man, we can have all of this diversity. But where might we be separating ourselves to get down to just this all-white, uptight little group? This gospel, once we believe and begin to apply it, to not simply embrace people by saying, welcome to worship with us, but embrace them with our arms physically, invite them into our lives, invite them into our homes, then it gets pretty exciting. You want a big life? Invite someone into your world. You want a big life? Invite somebody into your world that is diametrically opposite of you. Invite someone that is homeless into your world. Invite someone that is black into your world. Invite someone that socioeconomically, I think I think about this. Um, many people have maids or people that work in their yards or people that detail their cars that are of a different culture. What would it take to actually break bread with them in your home. Um, just barriers that the only the gospel, as Christ has reached through those barriers to get us, that we would reach through because of the impact of the gospel in our life playing itself out. And so Paul then comes and he says to Peter, he gives him this argument, and he says, if you are a Jew and you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He was saying, Peter, I've been watching you, and not just in church. But in the week, during the day, you eat a ham sandwich. But when you come to church or when you're around these religious Christian elites, you put aside the ham sandwich. So Peter, what you're doing is you're living like a Gentile, but then you get around these folks and you start living like a Jew, and that, because you're doing that hypocritically. He says, Peter, don't you realize the gospel gives you freedom? You can eat a ham sandwich and you can eat kosher food too. But don't be judging one another. That's the freedom that we have in the gospel. And it all comes because of the justification that we're going to look at. That's the topic next week. We're going to focus in on verses 15 and 16. But justification is the act by where we're made clean. Justification is the act where our uncleanness is removed and Christ's cleanness is applied to us by God and that accomplished through his death and confirmed by his resurrection. And so now we can call no one unclean that is a believer in Jesus Christ. Nor do we need to fear that we're going to be judged as unclean because God has removed that judgment now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help me to see where I preach or I live Peter's gospel where I believe the gospel, but I 
tweak it a little bit. Where it shows up where I would look at someone and think, oh, they're a believer, but not quite worthy of my friendship or my fellowship. Lord, would you show me, and not not simply show me maybe a past instance or abstract, maybe show me the face of a person. Show me the face of a person that I've not been showing grace to like you've been showing grace to me. Would you show us the face of a person that Jesus would never cast out? Would you show us a leper in our mind that Jesus would always be quick to come to and bring healing and even his own cleanness to embrace them and to heal them and strengthen them? Lord, would you show us the face also of Jesus? His embrace, his welcome, his acceptance, And then from that, turn to these and welcome them. Give us the strength. Strengthen us by that grace so that this morning we come to this table now. And this is not a divided table. When we, all of us, eat from this table, we're saying about all the rest of us, you are completely clean and forgiven in Jesus Christ, and therefore you are completely clean and acceptable For me, enter into my life and I enter into you in that intimate fellowship. No barriers. Because the barriers have been removed. So use this bread and use this cup to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.